Are you curious about how you might have a more fulfilling work life? Well, you're not alone. In fact, the numbers show us that many of us want more fulfilling work lives. I'm Susan Mikriadon, your host. And as a finance director, ops director and leadership coach, who has lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. But one thing that I've learned that is common to us all is that we are all unique and have unique experiences and perspectives. So join me and my guests as we place a lens on the people side of work life and explore ways to let your uniqueness shine through by sharing insights, stories, strategies and techniques to inspire your work life. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Lola Bejede. Lola, welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers. Thank you, Susan, for having me. Totally thrilled to be here. Great. So, Lola, I read that when you entered corporate life, you felt like you were living in fantasy land. Now, I think this is something that a lot of people find, but maybe talk me through where exactly is fantasy land? (laughs) Okay, so fantasy land for me was I finished my degree, got a a, relatively decent grade. Okay, you know, got the degree, got a decent grade, found myself to be, you know, smart, almost above the average, could I say. So what am I looking for? I thought, you know, I'm looking for high salary, executive position, you know, maybe like managerial role. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's what I'm going to go for. So I was applying for all these roles. And it's very common practice, even particularly entry level talent. You know, you need five years experience. Well, I've just graduated. So how do you expect me to get that? So I was very much, I've worked here, I've worked then. In the interview, I'll just shine. So obviously I'm going to get the job. And I, I got a job in a market research company. And they advertised the job, but it wasn't quite clear. So I went there, got the interview. Lo and behold, I was actually the receptionist. I was like, you are. <laughs> I'm glad you find it funny, Susan. I was like, you are having a laugh. Me, somewhat, a receptionist? I don't think so. But I had to pay the bills. So I took the job. I think it was, you know, receptionist stroke, project manager, assistant. But it was basically a receptionist. So there I was, sitting in reception, miserable as hell, thinking, how dare you people place me as a receptionist? I'm supposed to be the junior project manager, your next best thing. And I was really so, so fortunate that it wasn't a massive C250 company, decent-sized company, and the managing director always came in every day, so he saw her. And she just pulled me aside one day and said, look, you are the face of my company. And it was her company. You are the face of my company. And when my clients come in, I don't want them to think they're walking into the depths of doom. But your countenance, that's what it's saying. What is your problem? Rude. <laughs> so I was like, well, in the interview, I was told about potential and junior project managerial roles and this and the other. She was like, right, okay, that's fine. And that's that's definitely there, but you need to show me you have the potential. Like, and she pointed it back to me, she went, like you said, there's the potential. So because it's not about where you start, it's about the potential you show others that will determine where you finish. And I was like, wow, what a, you know, what a light bulb moment. And she was like, so if you're shining here, I can see you've got potential to do other things greater than what you're currently doing. She was like, so show me what you can do. Okay, so I, I just went for it, you know, reception. Hi, good morning, welcome to FDS. How can I help you? Excellent. Okay, just go upstairs. Cut tea, coffee. Okay, so by the end of let's say four months, five months, she was coming. I'll be smiling, we'd have a crack a little joke, and I would say, Oh, don't forget, BT guys are coming in today, Jenny. And you know, from what they were saying, you've got your ears to the ground. I said, I sure have. And she's like, Okay, and then but after six months, I passed the probation. She was like, Lola, you know, because you're always greeting Tony from BT, how would you like to support Debbie on their project? Oh. I, thought, I said, 
I would love to. She went, great. She went, now, do you see what you did? You showed me your potential. You stopped the moping. You stopped that I'm too good to be a receptionist. You showed me your potential. You used your initiative. You demonstrated the initiative that you displayed. And that made me realize you do indeed have potential. It's never a given. So when you get a role that says potential for, you have to show them your potential because they can't dig it out of you. You have to show them. And for me, that's when I left the realms of fantasy land and joined the land of reality, but also personal development. So when it came to that, I was very much right, okay, this is a market research company. What can I do to improve my knowledge about market research? What can I do to improve my knowledge about the companies, their current client base? So I would do research, like one of the um, clients at the time was BT. I would research. I would ask the project manager for that um, particular project, do you have any information that I can read? So I upskilled myself. And I think sometimes we don't appreciate, and particularly now, I mean, that was um, 20 something years ago. So now all the research you have at your fingertips, all the learning you have, like on LinkedIn, LinkedIn learning, you can do courses per day. Yeah, there are so many things you can do. And I think it's important when you're about to enter into the corporate space, be realistic. Uh, manage your own expectations. Don't get deluded. That's fantastic, Lola, and a great lesson. I mean, you really learned a lesson there. Oh, yeah. yeah. And graduates aren't prepared to enter the workplace. And mm -hmm. like you say, how can they manage expectations in one way if no one's told them what they're going to be like? And Perhaps they've been a big cheese and done really well. And I have inverted commas going on there. But, you know, they've been top of their class. And so yeah. they expect to have that when they go to work. Yeah, I would definitely say that when you do, particularly entry talent, when graduates do leave, it is very much, if they have been, like you rightly said, top of their class, they've gone to a Russell group, they've got a first, they've got a 2-1, they're not quite aware and that preparation beforehand I don't think enough is being done to literally bridge that gap but it's a sense of yes academically you're brilliant we won't take that away from you but are you ready to transition into the corporate space as you are and also what can you do to also prepare yourself because you're moving from academia to the corporate space some of the skills are transferable you're going to open yourself up to a whole heap of skills you know that you need to be equipped with a prime example when you're in university you're using harvard referencing for every single piece of work that you do you know that's very key to your marketing scheme when you're in the corporate space they will tell you time is money when you're sending me an email get to the point mate i don't need war and peace and sometimes that doesn't translate well so just simple things to ensure that when you're communicating, get your point across, like simple communication strategies and managing upwards. How do you manage your manager? That's not there. You know, in, in university, you're like, oh, God, yeah, that, that lecturer is such an idiot. Da, da, da. And that's what, you know, all your friends, yeah, 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 they're such an idiot. And that's it. Just give your work and it's fine. I don't, don't bother listening to them. That's not how you're going to manage upwards when you're in the corporate space. But that's not being taught to you and you're not aware of the importance of being able to manage up. So there's that particular instance. And like you said, you know, when they go into work, into in the, when they start their career, they, they may be thinking, oh, you know, I've had work exposure. I've had internships. And for them, they may say, well, of course, I've got work experience. I know how all this works. And I'm very much one for being confident of your abilities. But be realistic about how far your, you know, what your abilities are. Where are you with your abilities? And I believe that self-management of expectation can sometimes be somewhat diluted because, you know, it's very much, well, I've got my first and you know, I did well with my dissertation and, you know, da, 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 I did this, I did that. But you're now in a new environment. So you will need to, not so much, I don't want to say adapt because you need to stand in your authentic truth, but you need to understand and you need to assess your environment. And what's the best way for you to step up and stand out with your skills, with your talents, with your potential? And how do you demonstrate all that? Because you're literally going in as a baby, <laughs> whether you like it or not. And there are people around you who are walking, uh, who are running, who are, you know, our parents, grandparents. So they've gone through their career trajectory. 
Now, for me, I would think, how can I absorb as much knowledge and information as I can from them so I'm able to flourish as I start my career? As opposed to I'm the new stock. You guys are so party, you're not even relevant. Absorb the information. I think this particular period in time, you will have transgenerational workforce, like five generations all in one place. It's a learning curve. And as well as you're absorbing from them, they also will be absorbing from you. Yeah. So I've got our eldest is 17. I learned a lot from him just in terms of the way the younger people are thinking. I'm blown away a lot of the time with the way in which they think of things, the way in which they're very proactive and innovative. It's like, okay, yeah, that's interesting. Okay, I can see where you're coming from. So it is very much a two-sided information, but having the back of your mind, you're starting. And you need to understand how does this big ecosystem that you step into, how does it work? How does it function? What is your place within it? Mm. And sometimes that is lost and it can be lost for those who are very confident in themselves and also those who are not confident in themselves. They go in and they just want to keep their head down and take the ostrich position and that's it. it yeah, <laughs> no, it doesn't work. But I, it's really interesting because I think it's not just entry level. I think we go through a version of this every time you go to a new role or a new organization. Mm. And especially mm. if you've been promoted in the job you've come from and you arrive in as a director in a new organization and suddenly yes. it's a whole new world you have to learn. And it is two-way. That, that's very true, actually, when you go in at a senior level as well, because you've got this new role in a new organization. And obviously they've seen the value in you, which is why they've hired you. But there's that, there's that aspect whereby you have to look at what you're going into and you can't think you, you can just change everything. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So how do you understand how to bring the best to the organization based upon what they've seen and liked in you in your previous roles, but very much mindful of the culture, of the ecosystem, of the people, and, you know, the restraints as well. You'll be restrained by certain factors. How do you manage those, you know, bumps in your road, as it were, to be the best you can be, but also be very weary of where you're stepping into? Mm. And, and that's why I say be, it's, it's almost like, you know, <laughs> a bit far-fetched, but like an SAS exercise. Survey your surroundings. Don't just jump in. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, let's go. No, no, no. You know, before you start jumping are you on solid ground? What are your comrades doing? Who's there to support you? Survey your territory, get that knowledge first, because that's what's going to strengthen you to grow and really make the changes you want to make. So you have to survey your territory. It's very, very key. And that's what I say, and obviously, because my target is the entry talent, like, you know, survey your territory. Yeah. Who are your allies? Who can support you? Yeah, and it's a minefield. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is a minefield. You have people being dodging bombs on that minefield for years. They can, they, you know, they will let you know. And, and that's really crucial when you do step into a new role as an entry talent, because you're not aware of all these minefields, be it office politics, be it, you know, the values that are there. You're, not, you're so oblivious to them. And you're just, plop, 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 psh, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. Meanwhile, you know, you could have, someone could have been there to say, no. No, I can just tell you now, these are the things we've been battling with for how long, but this is what we're working on. So just be careful in this area. Navigating is definitely a skill. Yeah. What comes to mind is disengagement or a lack of engagement. And mm. I always thought you would be working for quite a while before you got fed up with work. But actually, you can become disengaged really early on in your career if there's yeah. a mismatch. Yeah. In expectations. It's, um, yeah. It's, I think people don't realize, for example, in terms of attrition, entry level talent is quite high. Because, like I said, you know, like we've just discussed, there's this mismanagement of expectations. So they expect one thing and they're not getting it. Like, you know what? I'm going to go somewhere else. And when you're, you know, Generation Z, you know, you can call them the insta culture. So everything gets instant, but it's also a case of, they are very confident and they can recognize where they feel they're not getting all the feels as it were. And they start looking 
they are definitely this generation are more aware of the aspect of opportunities and options than others. They very much, what else is out there? This, I'm not getting this, this is not me, this is not me, what else is out there? So in, in terms of that aspect, it is very much, well, what, what are organizations doing to ensure they don't get disengaged from, you know, from the, not from the get-go, but keeping them engaged? And what does that look like? It will look different for different organizations. But that piece of work is crucial to building your talent pipeline. You've got these people in, these young, innovative talent. You've seen their potential. You want them in your organization. But what are you doing to engage and retain them? That's a lot of wastage of both talent and financial resource. So is there a, a timeline, Lola, between... You talked about instant, so the instant generation. Is it advisable for new starters in anything, and whether it's new entrants or a new job, to give it so many months? Is there a timeline? But also for employers, there's a huge cost involved in recruitment and mm. training somebody up to do the job. So it seems like the the only yeah. thing you can do is to keep investing to keep people because otherwise yeah. you have to start that whole investment again exactly exactly in, in relation to the timeline and this is where as an employee the pre-work you do which is what we would say is the value alignment piece is crucial because if you understand your values first so you are aware of what your values are and when you're looking for a organization, you can see whether your values would align to that organization or not. And if you haven't done that, then you're literally joining the organization where you will have a value disalignment. And no matter how they try and engage you, it's just not going to work. So that value alignment piece is crucial. People are like, oh, well, you know, you can just adapt. And I was like, well, no, I've had clients who, career coaching clients, who are like, you know, I'm just, I don't understand, Lola. I'm just not enjoying this job. I'm like, okay, well, have you done the values exercise? But no, okay, let's do the value exercise. Okay, and this is just an example, you know. So the values are compassion, empathy, empowerment, and let's say freedom. And they then go and work for payday loan organization. I'm just not enjoying it. Okay, these are your values. What are, their, what are their values? Can you see the disalignment there? So that's why you're not enjoying it. You're literally trying to push a round peg through a square hole. So that's the first thing you need to do. Ensure you've got your value alignment is there. The second thing, again, is are you making the most? Are you doing everything that you can do to ensure that you are engaged in your role in the organization? Have you joined any networks? Are you upskilling yourself? So if you are, for example, a business analyst and you only know about Waterfall, but your organization delivers projects in both Waterfall and Agile, have you signed up for an Agile project, an Agile um, course? Or are you waiting for them to give it to you? Are you leveraging the network that's already in existence within the organization? So before you get totally disengaged, and this is why I say engagement is a two-way street. The organization has to provide that right structure, but the employer has to drive it as well, has to drive their own vehicle. So the organization will build the bridges, build the hubs, do everything else. But if you're just sitting there, just looking, you yourself are not engaging. So it's very much a two-way street. So look at what you're doing to ensure that you're fully engaged. Are you upskilling yourself? Are you utilizing the networks available to you? And once you've done all that and it's still not working for you, you can say you've given it the best shot. Then talk to your line manager. Is there anything they could do to help? If that's not working, like I say, we have options. We are not trees. We can move. Start looking around. <laughs> Start looking around at what else is out there. You can't waste your life on thinking, oh, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. If you've given it everything entirely possible, personally for myself, I would say a year. Give yourself a year to 18 months and you've given yourself everything entirely possible to give yourself the best opportunity to be engaged and it's still not working. You have options. Mm. You have options. Start looking. Mm. The values alignment exercise is a fantastic recommendation for sure. 
what about from an employer's perspective? Can they also do a values alignment? What I feel a lot of organisations do is they look very much at, obviously they do the whole CV, they do this, particularly like entry-level time, they do assessments and they look at individuals, you know, what, what they're about and they do like a culture fit. So who's the best culture fit? Hopefully more organisations are moving away from culture fit to culture ads. Because what you get there, you get the alignment. So there is a values alignment, which is what you need. But there also is something else that your future said employee can add. So you know, everything else is aligned, their values are aligned, but they add something extra. So it's not just, oh, they fit in, that's wonderful. They are an added bonus, but they'll bring an extra flavor, an extra perspective to your table, which can be very, very beneficial. For organizations, I believe they do assessments, via CVs, you know, a lot of organizations now are doing insight days. And then if you do well, you do the summer internship. So they keep a, a steady track of who comes in pre-employment, as it were, pre-full-time employment. And that's how they assess in terms of value alignment, who is an ideal candidate. And hopefully who's got the extra added that will support our culture and grow our culture as well. Yeah, that culture ad piece is really brilliant because that's your diversity piece as well because the fit you might not get diversity you may just hire in your image yeah that's what it usually allows to you hire someone who looks like you you have the same thoughts you have the same beliefs but at the same time is it not advantageous to hire someone who will also challenge you and will come with a different perspective because your client base do not all look like you yeah so as an example i did a, a blog recently now if you look at the example of blockbusters and netflix so in blockbusters they had everyone's like oh yes and i hope some people don't know what blockbusters was but it was a video <laughs> i just realized now i could say to myself like, an online video rental huge shops they were you'd go in get a dvd get a video hire them for free night take it back now and they were big they were big big in america big here as well they had a meeting with the guys from Netflix and they didn't see it. They were like, mm, no, I'm not quite sure whether that's going to happen. I'm not quite sure what's going to take off. No, we're doing really well. As they say, the rest is history. Everyone knows who Netflix is, blockbusters. You might need to go and look on Wikipedia to find out what they were about. But imagine if they had someone at the blockbuster table who understood what they wanted, bringing home entertainment into people's houses, but was also very digitally minded. It's like, listen, the way forward is going to be all digital. You know, I think we need to hear about these guys out. We can run both services in tandem until one takes off and da-da-da. But it's like, when you haven't got that, you are losing your potential client base. Yeah, and that's not something that you can actually afford to do. So the guys like at HSBC started doing Islamic banking. That's because they realized there's a huge market here and across the world that actually really want to practice their faith in, in all aspects of their life, including their banking. Let's open this up. And for what they are doing very well. So it's about having people who understand what you want to do, bring banking worldwide, you know, your local bank, blah, blah, blah. But if you're doing your local bank and high number of your population, your client base, Muslim, how attractive will it be to say you can still bank with a world-renowned high street bank, but we're going to appreciate that you want your faith and your values to represent the way in which you do your banking. So here we are. This is what we have for you. So you're designing. <laughs> yeah, you're designing with people and customers in mind. You're not taking a one size fits all approach and saying, this is us as a bank. This is how we do business. You have to meet us on our terms. Yeah, or, or go elsewhere. And that's what, you know, that's what they can do. They can go elsewhere. But it's also, I think it's being very mindful of the fact that you're opening yourself up to a wider client base. So you're actually seeing it as a very attractive proposition because you are appreciating and respecting that not all your clients are the same. So if you can do that for your clients, then you can certainly do it for your employees as well. Thank you. You have to do it for your employees, because your employees can also be your clients. Yes, of course. Of course. Yes. So you have your research in-house, even. You have your research in-house. You have your marketing in-house. Wow. 
it's a continuous evolution, I suppose, yeah, really. You yeah, can't go, right, we've got it all set up now. This is our hiring policy for the next X years. This is our business development policy, our strategy for five years, and off you go. Yeah. It's, you, know, you, you can have your strategy for five years, but you have to ensure that it's a living document. So It, it remains relevant. Yeah. I mean, you have a strategy for five years, and then you didn't foresee Brexit. <laughs> or COVID. Yeah, exactly. So how are you changing? How is your strategy changing? It has to be relevant. It has to be a living document, not a, not a stagnant document. It's a living, breathing document that changes to your market conditions. And then it's also about listening to staff, I guess, employees, people throughout all levels of the organisation who can, as you say, add to your strategy as opposed to fit it. Yeah. And the people say, you know, we have an employee engagement exercise and and I put my hand up. I used to be one of those people like, oh, God, do you know what? Close my eyes and tick the boxes because I've done one of these. I didn't see any change. So do all the paperwork and by all means have your employee engagement surveys done. But what are you doing with the information you get? What are you doing with the data that you have gathered? How are you demonstrating to your employees? We've asked you to do, we appreciate you've done it. We've listened and now we want to implement some changes based upon your feedback. If I'm giving the same feedback to you and I'm still operating in the same organization with no changes, I'm going to stop engaging. Because I feel that I'm talking to a brick wall. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you can. Yeah. If you're going to do the effort of doing one, well, then you may as well have already planned for taking action, yeah. depending on what comes up and at least feeding back to people who, who took that time. Crucial. It's, it's a loop. You ask me for information. I give you information. What have you done with the information? What did you think of the information? What are our next steps? And like you say, it's a loop, and it's a loop that both parties need to be together in as well. Mm. It's no point, you know, getting the information. Okay, we've got your information, and we heard what you said, but this is what we're going to do. Hmm? <laughs> it's like, no, it doesn't tell you the information you got back. So why did you bother asking me in the first place? And it's like, when I ask my children, oh, what do you want for dinner? Oh, mum, can we have lamb chops, you know, a bit of fried, you know, jollof rice and do the... Okay, great. You're going to have pizza. <laughs> There's no point asking if you're not going to take on board the information you get. I, I worked for a lot of organisations that gave me pizza when I asked for lamb chops. <laughs> you go, right? You just stop asking. You just stop, you know, you just stop asking. I'm going to go and I'm going to get lamb chops. Bye. <laughs> it's true. Disengagement is one thing, Lola. The other thing is having your confidence perhaps taken away from you when you start out as well by maybe no one taking time. You were very lucky with that boss you spoke about who took time to explain to you, this is how it works around here. But if you become frustrated and disengaged and don't move on, that must impact your own self-esteem and confidence. I've seen it whereby entry talent obviously enter and they come in bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and enthusiasm is all the way up here. And then they tell, oh, no, you didn't do that right. Said, no, don't worry, I just asked, you know, I asked someone else to do it. And they're just being berated and not told how to improve and not being introduced to the fact that we do have resources for you. So you could have an online learning LMS system. Start here and work through these modules and this should help you. And these are the reasons why. And in a way, organizations do feel very much hand-holding. But you have to remember the major transition that these individuals are making. You know, it's quite significant. And it's worth the organization's while. If you have a buddy system in place, for example, there are things you can put in place that will help support. And the buddy system, obviously the buddies need to be willing volunteers, but they help and they give that support and they give that encouragement. Create the safe spaces for your entry talent to understand where they can improve, where they are excelling, where they can share their challenges, where they can have someone to help them work through their challenges. Very much self-directional, but having those safe spaces are so important and constructive and positive safe spaces. So not a space where they're all just gang together. Oh my God, it's awful, it's terrible. No, I hate it. You hate it as well. Oh my God, yeah, we all hate it. What are we going to do? 
it's not about that. Yeah, it's, it's a place whereby, you know, what, what are your challenges? Well, my presentations, right, okay, have you tried this? There's a module that you can do on the NMS that may help you. We can do some mock presentations. I can give you feedback. It's a very much positive, constructive and progressive safe space. And if you are actually equipping and empowering your entry talent to grow and to develop and flourish, because when they lose their confidence, guess what? They start to stop giving you their best. They're more cautious about not failing than giving you their all. You know, so they don't want to make gonna, mistakes. Yeah, so they won't so take they're not any learning. Risks. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They're not learning. They're not growing. So unless you want someone who's really just an A star at photocopying, scanning, being your scribe in meetings, and that's it. That's what happens. That can be the end result. They, they feel too, maybe insecure. They feel too scared. They feel like they're not capable to take that next step and say, well, actually, um, I want to leave this project. Actually, I want to deliver the presentation. Because they haven't got that confidence to do that. You stop hearing their voice. And the reason why you brought them in in the first place, because you wanted to hear their voice, you wanted to get their ideas. They close up, they literally become like clams and they close up. And then at the end of the day, they, they may just stay and think, you know what, it's going to be like this in any organization. So I'll just stay here and adopt the ostrich position or they will leave. Either way, the organization is not winning. If that's the end result. Oh, that's fascinating because I have so many thoughts going off. One thing is they're the leaders of the future. Yeah. So if they do stay in your organization, there's a loop because they'll also not be getting the best out of the people you hire in definitely further along and it, it'll keep going. And that's where you get your toxic management from, I yeah. guess, and toxic leadership. And, and maybe that's the end of my loop, actually. <laughs> there were other thoughts going off, but that that's a key one, I think, because it's a cycle of, bad management and the thing for me in in that particular loop is you get the same people moving up to managerial levels and then you obviously miss out on the diversity aspect and you're not realizing you're missing out on a whole breadth of talent simply because they have not been nurtured or they haven't been equipped or empowered. And it's very much that case of not one size fits all. So when you onboard, particularly entry talent, I find, when you onboard entry talent, you have to ensure that the support that you do have in place is appropriate for all of your entry talents. Because in so doing, what you're enabling is equitable opportunities to take place. So if you are just providing support for your first class Russell Group candidates who've had that work exposure, who have a high degree of social capital, and you know how to present, you know how to network, you know how to do A, B, and C. If that's the only demographic you're providing support to as entry talent, you're leaving a whole sway for people behind. So how will you grow an organic diverse talent pipeline? You won't. And that's why it's important when you look at your cohort, your, you know, your, the cohort of entry talent you have taken on board, understand who they are. It's not entry talent, hello. No, what is the breakup of your entry talent? If you have entry talent from social economically challenging background, what have you got to support them? If you have entry talent from a ethnically diverse community where it's not a high representation in your organization, what are you doing to support them? And there's nothing wrong, I find, as an organization to say, in terms of diversity, we are not where we want to be by any stretch of the imagination, but we are trying as much as possible to get to where we want to be. And this is where we want to be. And being honest, you know, there's nothing wrong in that. Because you're being open and honest and transparent. There's no point saying, oh, we're such a diverse organization and here's our board members. And you're thinking, right, okay, well, no one looks like me there. And you're just trying to gloss over it. It's the elephant in the room. Be honest and open and state it. You're saying, no, we believe so much in gender equality. 
Again, your boardroom. Hmm, interesting. Be open and honest. I remember when I was at Sparkly's and Anthony Jenkins was um, the CEO at the time. And he was, you know, I'd give it up to him in terms of a leader. You know, he said he was having a conversation with his daughter. And he said, oh, well, yes, we've got gender targets, particularly for the board. We want a 50% increase by the, the, the. I think his daughter said to him, Dad, how many people on your board? And he was like, you know, X amount, you know, let's say 10 or whatever. I'm like, okay. So 50% increase, you've got one at the moment. So your target is two. <laughs> Maybe we need to, you know, we need to up the ante here. You look at it in a way that makes sense. Yeah. So when you're just looking at your entry level talent, what are you doing to ensure that everyone has access to equitable opportunities? And that starts with how you are engaging with them and how you are equipping and empowering them. Because there most definitely it's not a one size fits all. No, and it's understanding what your numbers actually mean as well, because statistics are great at throwing people off the scent. <laughs> you often yeah. have to go Let, let's beyond those numbers. numbers. Yeah, literally beyond the numbers. That, that's exactly what it's about, Susan, beyond the numbers. And and the other thing that actually came up when in my firing thoughts earlier on and that you've covered nicely here as well, I think is, is there a blaming the recruit? So if you've hired someone for potential and they're not living up to your expectations, rather than trying to find out what's going on for them, you just think, oh, well, they're not up to the job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a case of, well, you know, clearly this is not for you, do, do this and the other. And, and I personally believe that sits with both the employee and the employer. Yeah, so if someone is not performing, give them the information they're not performing and also what they can do to perform. I say feedback is your self-development gold dust. Take it, use it. How are you going to use it to shine? Because they're telling you things that are either working or not working. If they're not working, you need to find out how you can make them work. So in that particular space, if someone is not performing, understand why they are not performing. What is it? Like I said, I was so fortunate in that first role. I was given gold dust beyond belief that, that helped me really just step up my game and understand what I needed to do, move me from fantasy land to reality land. Not everyone does that. And that's why I think it's important for entry talent in particular, because you know, I believe if you start strong, you're only going to get stronger. It's when you start, and particularly when it comes to reviews, they think it's a monologue situation. They're just sitting there listening. Like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, it's a dialogue. What have you got to contribute? What questions are you asking? What proof are you going in there with to evidence that you are providing value to the organization? As an employee, you have to do everything possible to equip yourself and set yourself up for success. Your success is a win-win situation for both you and the organization. That's, there's no doubt about that. But you also have to take ownership and responsibility for your contribution to where you are placed in an organization. And I say you are the architect of your career. So you decide how much value add you are allowing others to see you are contributing. Your manager is managing their career and possibly a team. And I always say it's not the job of your manager to promote you. It really isn't. It's your job to give them reasons why you should be promoted. And you have an evidence base. You have your receipts, as we would say, as to why you should be promoted. You get feedback. You catalog it. You share it in your one-to-ones. You go with a whole dossier when it comes time for your mid-year and end-of-year reviews. But you have to take ownership of that. And that's why I believe that when you enter into the when you're an entry-level talent take as much ownership of your self-development as you possibly can getting guidance and using the feedback you get from your manager but make sure you drive it forward it shows that you actually want to better yourself and having self-awareness lola it's crucial it's crucial that, that famous question what are your weaknesses i think sometimes i just find it hard to switch off next <laughs> It's like, seriously, what are your weaknesses? Because everyone has them. I can say what my weaknesses are. If I'm given a project, I want to make sure I will micromanage, which is not always good. 
you have to let people shine. So I'm trying to find ways to delegate and to ensure everyone's got their own piece and we work collaboratively. Okay, tell them your area, area of development, how it impacts you and what are you doing to rectify it. So you're not only aware, you're proactive and you're progressing from an area of development to developing. You have to take ownership of your self-development. You have to drive it forward. It's a 50-50 thing in terms of the employee and the employer. But personally, I always go with 70-30. You drive it. They give you the environment in which you can succeed. But you need to be at the helm of that. And ready when opportunities come along to be able to like be right in there. I say, you know what, Susan, it's not even when opportunities come along. Go and find your opportunities. Yeah, yeah. So make make sure that you are looking at every single opportunity that comes along and you're putting yourself forward. Absolutely. So you, I always say, be an opportunity seeker. Go and look for your opportunities because they may not come along. And you're an early career strategist and it's geared towards early career people. But I think there's a lot of value in here for anyone. I think with a beginner's mindset, it's always a great way to explore things again, especially if you're feeling frustrated. And some of these exercises that we've talked about help at any point, I believe, in a career. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I feel that, I mean, even with career coaching clients, it's not just entry level talent that I'm supporting. I get people who are rising talent. So like, you know, I'm here. I want, you know, whether whether they want to pivot from their career, they want to move forward. And it's a refresh exercise. When I was in the corporate space, I think I had three different roles with my last employer, but every single time I would, you know, like you said, I would refresh these activities because it put me in a mindset that I'm setting myself up for success in this particular role that I've got. And it's important that we do that to ensure we are continuously developing and growing. So we don't just sit in the comfort zone and think that's it. That's all I need to do. I'm, I'm fine. I always say in the comfort zone, nothing grows when it's stagnant. The only thing that grows when it's stagnant is mold. You need to move outside of that comfort zone into your growth zone. And these little exercises help to trigger that movement because you're thinking, oh, my gosh, yeah, I'm not doing anything. I don't even know when the last piece of self-development I did for myself was. What do I need to do? I need to get feedback. Then you start giving up, right, I'm moving back into my growth zone mode. Yeah, and even rechecking yourself. Rechecking value alignment is still there yeah. as well. It's, it's, you know, it's important, even if you've moved within your organisation, so you've done an internal movement, you've got your corporate culture, then you have your departmental culture. So you could move from one department to another and you will find the culture is very different and the values are different. So because you thrived in one department, it doesn't mean you're going to thrive in another. So in that space, I always say, do your homework when you're doing internal moves. Departments have different cultures. So assess whether or not you're going to thrive in that new department who may have a different culture set to the one that you're coming from. And if you don't, if there's no alignment there, possibly look elsewhere. Because <laughs> you may get really frustrated with that. But also, you can ask internally and say, look, you know, perhaps we've made an error here. We moved too fast or something. Yeah. You don't yeah. always have to jump outside, I guess. No, exactly. There is always room for internal movement. And, you, you know, you have that relationship. And that's why, like, network, internal networks are crucial because you get all this information handed to you on the plate. But networking in general, I think, is so underestimated. So, so underestimated. And now we have virtual networking. It's the best thing ever, as far as I'm concerned. I do miss my face-to-face networking events, but virtual network, you're a global networker now. That's what the doors of opportunity have opened up to you. It's for you to take advantage of that. Brilliant, yeah. And I remember somebody said, with networking and your network, it's not just about who you know. It's who knows you and what they think of you. And I think that's a fantastic piece of advice. Yeah. I always say to people, if I'm talking to them about brand, you know, what is your brand? I said, the best thing to identify your brand is what people say about you when you're out of the room and how people describe you. 
People say, oh, but how do you know what people say to you when you're out of the room? You say, okay, I'm not asking you to go and plant microphones or anything. But generally, when people engage with you the next time, it's whether or not they've received you well the first time they've met you. And other people who know you within the same network, you can get a feel quite honestly as to how people receive you. And, and that's how you understand whether or not the way you see yourself is the way other people see us. I say it's about perception and perception is reality. So you can say, oh, yes, you know, I'm this, that, and the other. But when someone's describing you, they're saying the complete opposite. You need to go and check your brand because the, the perception you're giving out doesn't relay your brand at all. Which is brings me to my final question, Lola, which is absolutely, you line that up brilliantly because you describe yourself as bold. Yes, I do. I do. And that's a great message. I love that word bold because for me, it conjures up energy and empowerment and that's you to a t so tell me is that what people said about you when you left that's why i just clapped so when you said energy when i usually have like my first meeting with someone they say oh my god you know high energy high energy and when i talk about my workshops i say they're high energy and empowering is another word that i use so it's it's always music to my ears when that's fed back to me so I like to say I provide my clients with clarity, confidence, high energy engagement, and for them to step into their greatness. So you're being bold. And when that's ever relayed back to me, so if I'm doing a career coaching session, so I say, how do you feel at the end? And, yeah, clarity. I've got so much clarity now. And I just feel you know, this is I'm able to step forward and do this. Stuff. Right, excellent. So when you said that, when you said energy, I'm like, yes, I love it. Because that that is, Everything that I try and encapsulate in my deliveries, in my engagements, and everything I do and drive through my business, it's high energy because I feel it's needed. So many people are so cautious about stepping out and being seen. You know, I'll try and keep my head down and do my work. You're not an ostrich. That doesn't help you. That really and truly does not help you. And there's so much inside each of us. And I was saying, you know, step into your greatness. We are the ones that are mostly shackling ourselves from not stepping into our greatness. And yes, we have various restraints, societal imposed barriers, but you don't need to upload those with your own barriers as well. I can walk into the organization and think, right, okay, I probably won't get promoted. I'm female, I'm a black female. I haven't seen any other black females in senior manager roles. And what's it doing to my psyche? I'm just like, just, yeah, just get on with your work. Just get on with your work. Well, it's fine. It is what it is. But I could go in there and say, wow, they haven't got any black females on their board. I need to go and change this. I need to make sure they see me as the person that needs to be at that board table. What am I going to do to do this? Where are they lacking? What ad am I bringing to their table? What's their ecosystem like? What are they missing? Okay. This is what they're missing. I'm going to put together a proposal. I'm sending it to them. I'm going to present. I'm going to knock their socks off and we'll see where we go from there. It may well be, they may not say to me, right, Lola, we, no, you're not ready for promotion. We do, do, do. You still have to do ABC. Okay, I'll go back to the drawing board. I do ABC. Am I ready for promotion now? No. Okay, I'm not a tree. I'm moving. I believe I am. Feedback says otherwise. So you assess the situation. But if you're just like, oh, God, I can't do this. No, no. I know I've got value, but I'm not quite sure if they're ready to see it. But if you're like, you know what? I've got this. I've invested in myself. I've got the feedback to prove that I'm value add. What's stopping you from literally stepping into your greatness? Mm -hmm. I think you're denying yourself, you're selling yourself short, and you're not giving everything you have to your organization. So you're selling the organization short. They're paying you a salary. They want to see your value. Show it to them. Show it to them. They have no fear about what they say is failing. Learn from it. And if you learn from it, it's not a mistake, it's a learning opportunity. Brilliant. And Lola as you talk about that it brings me right back to a job that I was in and there were seven positions on the senior management team yeah 
And I have finance, that's my background. So I could have been the CFO, but I also could have done two other roles on that senior management team. And they were not considering me for any of them. And I thought, you know what? It's time to go because they don't see my value. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent, Susan. And that's what it's about. Like you said, not one, not one role could you fulfill, but three. And you don't want to give me any of the three. Bye. I'm gone because you're not seeing everything that I can add. I'm a see exactly. It's not about the culture fit. I'm a culture ad. If you can't see that, you're lost. Jump in. I'm out the door. It's fine. Yeah, and you know, it takes a lot for people to sometimes see that, and sometimes they can stay there and get, you know, just get embittered and frustrated. You need to go, so you go. Yeah, exactly. Brilliant, Lola. Our time is up. Tell me, how does someone connect with you if they'd like to learn more, Lola? What's the best way to reach you? They can connect with me on LinkedIn. So Lola Bijude, they can um, go to my website, solomonconsultancy.com. They can send me an email, lola at solomonconsultancy.com as well. So there's any which way, LinkedIn, I do live a lot on LinkedIn. So you will definitely find me there. So please do connect. I would love to engage and support where I can. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Lola. It was great. I've really enjoyed this conversation. You know what, Susan? Thank you for having me. I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. I really appreciate the invite. Brilliant. Okay. Well, take care. You too. Bye-bye. Imagine if every day you enjoy work, express yourself fully and exceed expectations. I believe we're all entitled to have this and that the future of work life will be changed by those who strive for and create more fulfilling work lives for themselves, their colleagues, their teams, and wider organization. Thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and share it with someone you know who is curious like you.